Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Terrence McCauley Podcast. I'm your host, Terrence McCauley. During our last episode, I discussed my first Western, the uh, one called Where the Bullets Fly. It's published by Pinnacle under the Kensington umbrella. It was an incredible experience for me, both branching out into a new genre, wondering whether or not it would be accepted, and challenging myself as an author and as an artist. But it also proved to me that I could tell a story in that time period that is catered to a very particular audience. Because if you get one thing wrong in a Western, most of those readers will put it down and never read you again in that genre. And they have a right to do that. They spend their hard-earned money to purchase a book. The author owes it to them to give them as authentic a story as possible. And that's what I strive to do. So when Where the Bullets Fly got acclaimed, I was very happy about that. It wasn't just my own ego that was uh, helped out by it, though writers do have an infamously uh, fragile ego. But it was about more than that. It was about it was kind of like a reward for pushing myself to do something I didn't know if I could do. And uh, the, the results of that were incredible. Uh, and, and I'm eternally grateful to the fans and to the people who read all of the submissions for uh, the WWA Silver Spur Awards and the Western Fictioneer Awards for giving me a good boost at just the right time in my writing career. When I wrote Where the Bullets Fly, it was a labor of love. I had not been published yet at that point. I hadn't had a contract. I wrote it when I had just received uh, rejections for prohibition and for slow burn. So uh, what did I do? Well, I did what any good stubborn Irishman does, and I tripled down on historical fiction by writing that Western, Where the Bullets Fly. But I didn't expect to ever write a sequel to it. I had left it open to it. Uh, when I do write, my general idea is that this could be the one that everybody wants to see a series about. So um, I definitely left it open-ended. I, I didn't leave it without a firm ending, though. I believe that every book should have its own ending, and the audience deserves that kind of closure. Even if they know that there's another book in the series, it, you know, it's up to them to decide whether or not to join that journey with me. So when Kensington said, do you have another book in you for the uh, Aaron Mackey and Billy Sunday characters? I said, absolutely. Just give me an idea of what you want to see. And they told me, well, you know what? We, we've all, we want to do something with a train. We haven't published anything that uh, involves a train in a while. So put them on a train someplace and then work backward from there. So immediately after that lunch with my editor, uh, Gary Goldstein, and my agent, Doug Grad, two great guys, they, uh, the gears in my mind started turning. 
and I didn't want to do a train robbery one that had been done already. I didn't want to do anything that I had seen in any of the movies because I just always try to take a different slant on something, uh, whatever I decide to write. And if you read any of my short stories or my novels, you'll see that if there's one common element to all of it, it's that I'm trying to take a different angle on it because it's easier for me to write it that way and it makes it more interesting. So after that lunch, I'm staked out on a train to um, see who would attack it and why. And they wouldn't just be sitting ducks, but Mackie and Sunday were going to be. I started thinking about how could I work a train into it and uh, without it being a train robbery. So I decided that they would be in uh, 2019, and I'm going to read from the back of the book for you. That way you get a sense of what it's all about, and then I'll go into a little bit about why I wrote it. In the boomtown of Dover Station, Montana, tracks have been laid and everyone's looking to make a fortune, lawfully or not. And the law has something to say about it one bullet at a time. Dover Station, where death rides faster than the wind. A rash of deadly train robberies has the chief investor of Dover Station feeling itchier than a quick draw without a target. And he wants Sheriff Aaron Mackey to scratch that itch with every bullet his battered badge authorizes him to shoot. When Mackey and his backup gun down four kill crazy bandits, they uncover a plot cooked up by respected citizens of Dover Station. Someone who can pull enough strings to replace Mackey with a disgraced marshal from Texas. Now, Mackey's badge may not say much, but his gun defies all fear. Anyone who stands between Mackey and the future of Dover Station is about to become buried in the pages of history. That's the rough description of Dark Territory, written from the back of the book. They um, have usually a, a copy editor who will read the entire book and then come up with better copy than I can to place on the back cover to make sure that it's uh, saleable and that uh, it, it, it catches the eye. Kensington and Pinnacle do a great job with that. A lot of people wondered what I was going to do with the Mackie and Billy Sunday characters after the events of Where the Bullets Fly. This is very much a book that was written with the intent of it being a transition time in the young series that was to come. I knew there was going to need to be a time of healing for these characters if they were going to be believable. Now, just because they're healing doesn't mean they're boring. There's a difference. Um, there's also a difference between jumping right into the action and acting like nothing happened in the uh, months and weeks before the events of Dark Territory are set. There is a happy medium. An artist can do both, be reflective, but also deliver action that the genre dictates. So here I have um, Catherine recovering from her ordeal with the Darabont gang, the Devil's Cut. And I have Mackie continuing to go about his business, facing down threats from a never-growing railroad concern that is in Dover Station. Now, in doing that, I was conscious of a couple of uh, tropes that I wanted to avoid. 
The first one is of the greedy corporation or the greedy rancher wanting to take over everything and suffocate everybody who's in his way. I didn't want to tell that kind of a story. As I said earlier in this podcast, it's been done, and I like to stay away from things that have been done. At the same time, there has to be a familiar element to it so that the reader has a frame of reference. If you get too far afield of the tropes of the genre, then you lose the core audience. And it also becomes more complicated to write, and I didn't want to write something that was like that. I always try to write something that's entertaining, that the the, um, audience might even learn something and find that they're rooting for a character they might otherwise despise. So I did that with Dark Territory. I have the organization uh, run by a man by Fra- named Fraser Rice, who is a wealthy investor in the um, J.P. Morgan vein from New York, who isn't just a fat cat who wants to glom onto anything he sees, but is a, uh, although he's a New Yorker, he's a rebel at heart, and he wants to be able to build something that makes money and builds lives in uh, this Montana town, and also make a killing for himself and his investors. He's not exactly a good guy, he's not exactly kind-hearted, but he's more human than you tend to see in other uh, characters of his type, which is what made him so fun to write. And he also gives Mackie his blessing to go out and take care of these people who are threatening his investment by making people think that it's unsafe to go to Dover Station. The bad guy in it is a guy named Grant, uh, not Ulysses Grant, but a guy by the name of James Grant. And he works for the um, person that Fraser Rice has left in charge of the development of Dover Station. And that person is Silas Van Dorn. Uh, he's a Silas, on the other hand, is not like Mr. Rice. He is a sickly Easterner. Uh, he is not uh, adapted well to his time in Mo- Montana and tends to uh, stay mostly in his home on top of the hill that overlooks the town. That's more accurate of the uh, type of investor that you had back then, by the way. If they did insist on being in the area of the uh, railroad being built or the factory being built, there was also a good chance that they didn't interact with some of the people that they were hiring and putting to work. James Grant fills that need. He also fills his own pockets because he has Silas Van Dorn's complete trust and uses his influence to his own advantage. Silas Van Dorn is also a very interesting character, because if you read my other books, which are set in the 1930s, especially the one called Slow Burn, that name comes up again. And he is, at that time, in 1931, um, an old man whose family is the target of a murder-kidnapping case that was based on the Lindbergh kidnapping of the time. So another part of my writing style isn't just about flipping genres for the sake of flipping genres. It's also about building a broader universe where characters or relatives of characters will pop up in various scenes 
in areas without you uh, knowing it at the time. They're like little Easter eggs, if you will, for people who read all of my books. Uh, in, in my mind, they're all connected in some way, even, um, even though they might not necessarily uh, have a direct link to each other. But uh, Dark Territory was no different. Dark Territory was a time when I wanted to introduce some new characters. I introduced the character of Jeremiah Halstead, who is Sim Halstead's son from the first book. And he has come to not only pay homage to his father, but also come back to look up uh, his father's good friends, Aaron Mackey and Billy Sunday. That helps also add some depth to these characters as well. In the Western genre, you tend to get wooden characters who, yes, they have some emotions, but they're all the emotions that you expect to see. They're um, angry, they're sullen, they're the loner, they're the hired gun with a heavy heart. In my books, you don't have that. These are people who have scars and who have baggage, but uh, they don't allow it to define them. If anything, their actions define who they are, which is why I go into great detail about the relationships between all of the characters, about why they do certain things automatically just because their friendship dictates it. They have blind loyalty to each other at a time when loyalty was really all you had in an inhospitable environment like the West and Montana in particular. I also use this story as a way to um, listen to the audience. And one of the big kicks about being a writer is getting their feedback. Like I said earlier in this podcast, sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's positive. But I see all of it because I want to learn what my audience likes and doesn't like. And one of the unexpected thrills of writing Where the Bullets Fly was the incredible reception everybody had for Billy Sunday. They not only liked his interaction with the stoic Aaron Mackey, but they also liked the fact that he was entirely capable of his own actions, his own thoughts, and his own motivations. Uh, he isn't just a sidekick. If anything, he's a uh, he's a character that runs parallel to Mackey's character development. They're equals in every way, and they're equal in their friendship, and both of them see it that way. I mean, Aaron's the sheriff, but other than that, they're, um, they're more like partners than anything else. So this book gave me the opportunity to let Billy shine a little bit to let him go out and investigate on his own, which he does when the train is attacked, and show that he can contribute to the plot in key essential ways. That was directly based on feedback that I received from the audience. So, as always, I'm grateful to them for giving me the ideas I need to keep a vibrant series going. Dark Territory also received some praise. It was a finalist for the uh, Silver Spur Award from the WWA for that year. By the time that this book sold fairly well, Kensington asked me, well, do I have ideas for a third and fourth book? So our next two podcasts are going to be about the next two books in the series of Aaron Mackey. The next one is going to be about the book Get Out of Town, and then the fourth 
episode is going to be dedicated to the dark sunrise. Now, some people have asked me, are Get Out of Town and The Dark Sunrise the end of the Mackie series? I always tell them no. I, I have every intention of continuing that series for as long as Kensington is willing to allow me to do so. There's no shortage of ideas. The characters do evolve. They evolve at the end of Dark Territory to take on new responsibilities. I won't get into that right now. I'll give you a chance to read the book between now and the next podcast. Constant evolution and growth is very important in my work, and it's important to me. So I definitely have elements of that that happen in Dark Territory, and those elements continue on in the work of Get Out of Town and The Dark Sunrise. So is that the end of uh, those two books, the end of Mackie and Billy? No, not by a long shot. And if anything, they give life to a brand new character that uh, you get to meet in Dark Territory, who's going to have a series of his own. Who is that character? What are the story arcs that start and end in the next two books? Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to tune in next time to uh, find all of that out. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, between now and next time, you can always find me all over social media. You can also follow me on my website, www.terrencemacaulay.com. That's T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E, Macaulay, M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y.com. You can also email me at Terrence, T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E, at TerrenceMacaulay.com. I look forward to hearing from you. I hope everybody stays safe, and I look forward to speaking with you next time, right here on the Terrence McCauley Podcast. Be well, everybody. (laughs) 